But uh, yeah, thank you so much for um, being here tonight. It's really great to be able to worship and celebrate Christmas together and have communion together. It's really special. And to meet some people too. It's really special. Uh, hopefully we can get to know you a bit more after the service too. We might have some supper or refreshments or something. Um, also, if you'd like to, we'd like to get to know you by um, finding out your details <laughs> so that we can bless you, not so we can stalk you. All right. So, so there's, um, there's a, a, a welcome, a welcome uh, invitation to you. If you can, there's a spot on there to fill out. Uh, we'd like to know what your birth date is so that we can send you a birthday card or even sing happy birthday to you. Um, it's up to you. But uh, yeah, we'd just love to be able to keep in touch. And so, um, yeah, thank you for doing that. So we're doing a series at the moment in uh, Isaiah, a Christmas series being December and looking forward to Christmas called, Who is this King? And I think you know the answer to the question, right? So it's a bit sort of pointless, but I, I, like, the, I like the question because sometimes you think you know a person until you really get down to study them a little bit, find out their history, find out what they're like, who they are. Because um, who am I? All right. Who am I? I am a husband to, some, to one person. <laughs> I am a father to some people. I've become a father-in-law to another person. You know, I'm, I'm just not Ian. There's lots of different facets to who I am, like you as well. And so when we look at Jesus, I wonder what initially comes to mind when I say the name Jesus. Because we just sang, for I believe in the name of Jesus. What comes to mind when you hear about his name or hear his name? What things come to mind? Pictures, words, feelings, emotions, history. We have uh, before us Isaiah chapter 7. And here we see a name given and a name that Matthew actually tells us later on in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23, that this name actually is a name for Jesus. But there's no, there's no name of Jesus in Isaiah 7. In fact, last week when we looked at Isaiah, there was no name Jesus there either. But this is a prophecy that was uh, given by God through the prophet Isaiah to a king about a king. Now, before we look at who Jesus is, or sorry, I just ruined it now, who the king is tonight. Oh, you can go home if you like. You know the answer. Before we look at who this king is, let's have a look at another king. His name is King Ahaz. Okay, so if you have your Bibles open, please do, up, up to chapter 7, if you're not there already, on your paper Bibles or your phones or whatever you've got a Bible on. And this king is, uh, we're going to learn from him, okay? So verse 1, when Ahaz, son of Jotham and grandson of Uzziah, was king of Judah. King Rezin of Syria and Pekah, son of Ramalia, the king of Israel, set out to attack Jerusalem. However, they were unable to carry out their plan. But the news had come to the royal court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So the hearts of the king and his people 
trembled with fear like trees shaking in a storm. Here's a king. He is the king of Judah, and he's got two other kings coming against him. And this king, he's putting his trust not in God, but in human strength. The first point, there's two points for tonight. The first point is this, trust or bust. All right, we can learn from this king. You, you either trust God or it's nothing. Have you ever heard that saying before? Like it's, we're shooting for the moon or bust, or we're going to Sydney or bust. Actually, there's a place I nearly went to the other day called Orbost. Is that how you say it? Orbost. All right, I said it wrong. <laughs> I'm not saying, it's not saying trust or bust. That sounds so strange. Trust or bust. So when it comes to, to God, we either trust him or we don't. There's really no middle ground. And Jesus is that kind of polarizing figure. Every single person that came to Jesus couldn't find middle ground. They were, they were trusting him or they walked away hopeless. And here's King Ahaz. He's the representative of, King, of, of Judah. And he is trying his best to honor God and to trust God. But we see in verse 3, sorry, verse 2, that this news comes to the royal court of Judah. Syria is allied with Israel against us. So, their heart, so the hearts of the king of Israel, oh, sorry, the king of Judah and his people trembled with fear. Like what? Like trees shaking in a storm. Or you might have the NIV, like trees in a forest when the wind is against them. You'll never see a tree, I guarantee you, I can stand here today, and say, you will never see a tree move by itself. You'll never see it. Slowly over time with one of those, with one of those cameras, like over time, but you'll never see it move by itself. Oh, okay, okay, maybe an earthquake. Righto, fine, maybe an earthquake, or a car hits it or something. So, but there's outward, there's always gonna be an outward, an outside environment affecting that tree. And here's this picture of a forest of trees uh, shaking because of the wind or a storm. Now you can't see wind or a storm, but you can see the effects of it. And this kind of reminds me, because what we have here is a king and his nation absolutely trembling in fear because of an outward force coming against them. And this, this story reminds me of another story in the New Testament with Jesus and Peter and the other disciples. You know, you know the story where Jesus, you might know the story where Jesus sends the disciples from one side of a lake to the other. And he doesn't go with them. And while they're in the middle of the lake, what happens is a big storm comes and these experienced fishermen are paddling for their lives and they're afraid. To make matters worse, a ghost ends up coming to visit them on the, on the water, walking towards them and they freak out and they don't realize that it's Jesus. And what does Jesus say to them in the middle of that storm? He says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. What a beautiful picture of God coming to us when we can't control the situations around us. Now, I know none of you guys have had any problems in your life where things from the outside can affect or try and, you know, with our hearts. 
our hearts are the, are the battleground because as a believer in Christ, he has the throne of our heart. And what the devil will try and do, or, you know, yeah, basically the devil when you get boil it down, he will try and dethrone Jesus from your heart. And he'll use all kinds of outside factors, all kinds of outside influences to make that happen. And he tried to do it with Peter and he's trying to do it with Ahaz. Fear will stop you if you let it. It will cripple you if you let it. The opposite of fear is trust. Ahaz was trusting in his own human strength. He wasn't trusting in God's promise for him. And so then the Lord said to Isaiah, Isaiah is the prophet. He said to Isaiah, this is what you need to do. I want you to go to Ahaz and I want you to deliver a message. All right. But as you go to deliver this message, have a look to see what he asks Isaiah to do. I'll read it for you in verse three. The Lord said to Isaiah, take your son, Shear Yeshub, and go out to meet King Ahaz. You will find him at the end of the aqueduct that feeds water into the upper pool near the road leading to the field where cloth is washed. Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of these two burned out embers, King Rezin of Syria and Pekah son of Ramalia. So he gives him a message to declare. What's the message? I'll tell you what the message is because you probably think I'm wrong. The message that he sent him to initially declare to King Ahaz is written in your Bible, and this is the message. A remnant will return. You don't need to fear. You don't need to worry about losing your life because I have a remnant that it's going to return. A people that are protected for my purposes. Do you know what the purpose of God is here? Is He, he is actually... Um, using, uh, you might have the NIV, it, it might use the phrase house of David. Why are you trembling house of David? Um, court of Judah is the New Living Translation. Um, but the idea here is that God's purpose is for a king to come. And God will always have his purposes accomplished regardless of human error, human fear, human fault. He will have his way because he says it, it will happen. And so what Isaiah is told by the Lord here to do is to take his son, Shia Yeshub, with him. So the first thing Isaiah is asked to say is basically taking this boy whose name is Shia Yeshub. Shia Yeshub means a remnant will return. So you can see this picture of Isaiah walking towards Ahaz. Ahaz is at the other end of the, the track where, where he's supposed to be near the, where, the, where the water is. He turns, he sees Isaiah coming. Before Isaiah says a word, he sees a remnant will return walking towards him. So Ahaz is encouraged straight away by the Lord by seeing this boy coming towards him. God's promises will come to pass. But Ahaz is afraid. He's trembling like a tree under the wind, the force of the wind. So Isaiah is given a message by the Lord to speak 
to him. In verse 4, he tells him, stop worrying. Tell him to stop worrying. Tell him he doesn't need to fear the fierce anger of those two burned out wind. Don't worry. Don't fear. Sounds pretty, pretty um, familiar, doesn't it? When Jesus spoke to Peter, don't be afraid. Don't fear. It's me. It is I. Don't be afraid. And so in that story of Peter jumping, uh, sorry, Peter seeing Jesus coming towards him on the waves, what does Peter then say to Jesus? He says, if it's you, let me come to you. And, Peter, and, and so Peter jumps out of the boat and does something that you and I have probably never, I don't know, I've never really met you guys before, but I'm guessing you've never walked on water, like literally walked on water. And Peter starts walking on water while he's got his eyes on Jesus. And, a, and, and, and you know what? We sometimes have this picture in our head that Peter's walking on beautiful, flat water. Like at sunset, like here at the lake, it's beautiful to see that flat water. But there's still a storm raging. There's still wind blowing. And Peter is still walking on the water, which is going like this. And the wind's blowing his hair and his beard around. And he's still got his eyes set on Jesus and he's on top of the situation. While he's got his eyes on Jesus. The scripture tells us when he gets his eyes off of Jesus, what happens? He starts going down. Which, you know, we focus on that a lot. But I like to focus on the fact that he was able to actually go through that situation, go through that storm with his eyes on Jesus and do the supernatural. And here Ahaz is, is kind of reminded by God to um, keep his eyes on him, keep his heart on the Lord. Tell him he doesn't need to be afraid, it says in the New Living Translation. Uh, don't fear, right? Why? Because you're only coming against people. You're only coming against two kings. And how does he describe them? Like burned out embers. Like, um, you know, when you put a candle out and you just see that little bit of red bit on the end of the wick? That red bit will soon not be there. Given time, it'll be gone. It won't be hot. It won't be dangerous. And that's the image here of, of the God is saying to King Ahaz. He's like, there's no need to worry about this battle because there's only people. Now, like I said before, you guys probably don't face situations in life that are too hard, like a battle. Or maybe you do. Maybe there's one person in here that's going through a battle. Now, battles come in different shapes and forms. But for the believer, it's always not against people. You see, sometimes you go through something and you think it's a battle against people. But it's not. It's really not. Ephesians 6 tells us that our battle is, against, is not against flesh and blood. Now, you think that it is. You, know, you might think, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's someone here struggling in their, in their uh, relationship with their parent. And it's just if the, if the parent could just change, everything would be fine. I'm not, I, I'm not eyeballing anybody. But, you know, it's, and sometimes that can feel like a battle with that person. But it's not the person. It's the forces at work around what that person is, why that person is behaving the way they're behaving. We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that doesn't tick all of our boxes. We'd love it to. We'd love to be able to pray and God would just give us what we want, but that's not what happens. We go through things 
that seem like battles, but the people are not the thing we're fighting against. We've got to try and remember that. Like in relationships, the devil will try and get husbands and wives to have a wedge in between and separate them as much as possible. But the battle is not between the husband and wife. The battle is against the unseen principalities and powers that are waging war against us because of what we believe. Now, we're not called to go fight in a battle. We're just in a battle. But we're coming from victory that Jesus has already accomplished for us. Ahaz, uh, uh, sorry, Ahaz was afraid that a battle was coming his way. And he was afraid that his nation and he were going to lose their lives. They were going to get snuffed out. And he was trusting his own strength and not God's. He was trusting his own strength and not God's promise. And so God says to him in verse 5, Yes, the kings of Syria and Israel are plotting against him, saying, We will attack Judah and capture it for ourselves. Then we will, then we will install the son of Tobiel as Judah's king. But this is what the sovereign Lord says. This invasion will never take place. It will never take place. For Syria is no stronger than its capital, Damascus. And Damascus is no stronger than its king, who is called Rezin. Uh, as for Israel, within 65 years, it'll be crushed and completely destroyed. Israel is no longer, uh, sorry, no stronger than its capital, Samaria. And Samaria is no stronger than its king, Pekah, son of Ramalia. Unless, you, unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. So he's saying to Ahaz, trust or nothing. Trust or bust. You're just fighting against, uh, you're just worried about people that are coming against you. Don't worry about them. I'm bigger than that. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. Have a look at that in your Bibles, that verse. Verse 9, Isaiah 7, verse 9. You might have a different rendering of it. Unless you stand firm in your faith, maybe. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make you stand firm. Reading that, I've read that verse before. And reading it initially, I feel like, well, I've got to have stronger faith. I need to try harder to have stronger faith. And sometimes we can think that as Christians. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I can think like that. Like maybe my faith needs to be stronger. So I'll try things to work that faith into something stronger. Like, you know, working out at a gym. So I'll go to church more and learn more, more about God. Or I'll, I'll, try, I'll try more to be kind and loving. I'll try not to react selfishly. I'll try not to, you know, get impatient. I'll try my best to to uh, trust God more. I'll try my best. Uh, I'll sing more to him. I'll praise him more. I'll pray more. Um, I'll give more tithes and offerings to church. I'll try more and more and more. But it's like faith is not actually striving. Faith, I think I've said it before, is not from striving. We don't strive to be more faithful. We actually, in fact, let me just give you the Ian paraphrase. Unless your faith is firm, I cannot make, oh, sorry, unless, unless you kneel in faith, 
I cannot make you stand firm. Faith is not standing. It's more kneeling. It's, it comes from surrender to God. We actually find victory not from striving, but from surrendering. It's like the beautiful picture of the disciples in the, in the boat when Jesus came out to them. What, what were they doing? Striving. They got the oars out. They were trying their best. They were using all their intelligence and all their skills and all their experience to try and get from one place to the other. Were they obeying God? Yes, they were, because he said, go from here to there. So they're just trying their best, right? And we've got King Ahaz here. He's trying his best. He's using all of his military prowess, all of his experience. He's trying his best. But, but surrendering and believing what God has already said about a certain situation or about you is much stronger than you striving. So Ahaz needed to learn to trust God. Then verse 10 comes. Later the Lord sent this message to King Ahaz. Ask your God for a sign of confirmation, Ahaz. Make it as difficult as you want, as high as heaven or as deep as the place of the dead. But the king refused. No, he said, I will not test the Lord like that. Was he stupid? Hands up, who wants to get a sign from God when you're facing a crisis of faith? When you're not sure what step to take next, who would really want a sign from God? Me. I love signs. They tell me where to go. They tell me what to do. I kind of side with Gideon, like he did the fleece thing, not just once, but twice, just to find out if it was really God or not. <laughs> I love signs. We don't have any. Yeah, we got a sign there. Said it before, there's that sign on top of the, on top of the uh, door over there. What's that sign? The exit sign. Now, if there's an emergency, we all don't try and fit through that sign, do we? That's not what it's there for. It's to point to something that's bigger than the sign. It points to the door. That's where we all run out. In fact, you can use this one too, if you like, because it's probably <laughs> easier. But the sign is not the thing. It's the thing that points to the thing. That's what a sign is. And I love signs. I'm thinking, Ahaz, you're struggling in your faith. You're really at this point of, is God going to step in and do something for me or not? And he says to you, ask me for a sign. Shoot for the moon. You can be the weirdest sign. In fact, I, I work with weird signs. He, 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 met, some, he met some shepherds in a field um, one day. And uh, through an angel, and the angel said, the Messiah is here, he's born, and this is going to be the sign. You'll find him wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, which is weird because that's where animals feed. That's not where you put babies. No offense to Mary, that's probably all she had. But God works with sign. He's very good at sign language. And here is a sign. Well, here's the offer for a sign, and Ahaz turns it down. Why? Because he's striving in his own strength. Ahaz, you know, you might look at this, have a look. God says, ask me for a sign, anything, right? And what does Ahaz say? No, I will not test the Lord like that. What a holy fellow. Like, don't you think that's just really, that's righteous, that's holy. He doesn't want to test the Lord, which is fair enough because that's what it says in Deuteronomy, don't test the Lord, right? Don't test him. So Ahaz, he is going off of a commandment 
or a word that God has spoken hundreds of years earlier and using it against something that God is speaking to him in the moment. That's dangerous territory. God spoke those, those words hundreds of years earlier in Deuteronomy, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test, which is good. Please, everyone, don't put the Lord your God to the test. But if God turns up to you and says, ask me for a sign, are you testing him? No. He's, he wants you to have a sign. Ask me for a sign. Yes. Yes, I'll ask you. Wait, I've just got to come up with a question. What's, what's a good sign? But Ahaz says, no, I'm not going to test you. And so God says through Isaiah, verse 13, Listen well, you royal family of David, or you house of David. He's talking to Ahaz and he says, he's a house. He's a house of David. Keep your spot there real quick. And we're going to turn really quickly over to Matthew chapter 1. Because I think asking God for a sign to help me through my life as a Christian is great. But it's really great if you know the end result. Um, I'll explain it in Matthew chapter 1. And go to verse 6. Yeah, verse 6. Matthew chapter 1 and, and verse uh, 6. This is the line of uh, Jesus, the genealogy of Jesus, right? Coming from the line of David. Here's Jesse. Verse 6, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Oh, that's familiar. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Hmm. Uzziah was the father of Jotham. Wow, Jotham was the father of Ahaz. Ahaz was the father of Zed, and it keeps going all the way down until you see in, in verse 16, Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, if Ahaz realized that he was a descendant of the Messiah, don't you think that would encourage his faith? Didn't matter what battle came. He was related to the Messiah. Wouldn't matter. Send the armies. Bring them. I don't care. My name's already written down here. I'm, I'm sorted out. But he didn't know that. He couldn't see ahead. Some, one person can. And he was trying to speak through Isaiah to this man. God was trying to speak through Isaiah. The Lord sees the future. Um, he sees this, this king is actually part of the line of David. He is part of the house of David, the, the lineage, the dynasty of David, all the way down to the Messiah. Um, and um, yeah, he says, listen well, you royal, you royal family of David. Isn't it enough to exhaust human patience? Must you exhaust the patience of my God as well? I've exhausted your patience already by preaching tonight. But it's more to exhaust the patience of God. And what's he asking Ahaz to do? Give him a sign. Ask for a sign. So God says, righto. The sign is mine to give. I'll give you the sign. Here it is. A virgin will give birth, will conceive. 
and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Now, isn't that encouraging that that's a name for Jesus? In Matthew chapter 1, verse 26, Peter says, uh, verse 23, sorry, the angel comes to Mary and says, uh, um, sorry, comes to Joseph and says, and she, being Mary, will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. It's directly related to Jesus, this prophecy. Trust or bust. When it comes to Jesus, you either trust him or you don't. And this name that we're given, who is this king? His name is Emmanuel, God with us, God with us. And that doesn't just mean God with us, like as in physically with us. It means that he's actually on our side. He's for us. Romans 8 tells us if God is for us, who can be against us? If any battle that comes your way, you don't need to be afraid. And it could be a battle that's coming from the outside, You don't need to be afraid. Just keep your eyes on Jesus and trust him and try not to not trust him. Does that make sense? Even when all logic says God's not coming through, that's when he works best. Trust him. But sometimes the battle is not coming from outside. Sometimes the battle is inside. Sometimes if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle with all kinds of things in this life temptation, what to do with our time, all kinds of struggles. Who am I? Why am I here? What's the purpose of life? And we don't verbalize those with other people and we struggle with those sorts of things on our own. There are people in your community like that. But the battle can be won with trusting in Jesus because God is with us. And Jesus came God came to be with us so that we didn't have to be alone in those battles let's pray heavenly father we thank you so much that you are with us you prove that you're with us you're for us you're not against us you showed it in the flesh we thank you Jesus for all that you are all that you've done we thank you Lord that you're never going to leave or forsake us even though we sometimes fail in our faith, sometimes tremble like trees in a forest. Lord, we just want to place you again on the the throne of our hearts tonight, that you would have your way. We bring to you the struggles in our life, Lord, the relationship difficulties, the, uh, the impossible things that maybe are in our futures. We don't know what it looks like, but we just, we know what you look like and we look to you. We trust you. We thank you, Lord, that you never leave us. You're Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.